All right, all right, all right. You are now rocking with the best here on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. We are back, and the Cowboys are back in the win column to the return of the one and only franchise quarterback, the elite, the immaculate Tony Romo. He has returned to save the day, and the Cowboys are now sitting at 3-7 and seven with a shot at the playoffs. It ain't over till it's over, folks. The NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles, and the Washington Redskins both took tremendous just debilitating losses yesterday to NFC South teams while the Cowboys were facing an AFC opponent in the Miami Dolphins, and they were able to come out of that with a 10-point victory. To chop it up and analyze any and everything about the Cowboys and their chances to continue this, what would be a historic run to the playoffs, it is the one and only Mr. Joey Ikes joining us. Mr. Ikes, how are you, sir? I am doing very well, sir. How are you? I have absolutely no complaints because after two months of misery, we are now back in the win column, and there is a lot of hope around Cowboys Nation for how this thing could turn out. First and foremost, we had to get the first victory, and now they're going to move on to the Carolina Panthers. But before we do that, let's talk about what we saw on Sunday, and obviously all talk has to start with the return of Tony Romo. Tell me what you saw. Uh, obviously, you've had a chance to review the game again. Tell me what you saw out of Romo. He had a few hiccups. Some things didn't go according to plan but his mastery over the offense was evident in all phases. Talk to me about what you saw. I think you did a, a, a very good job of summing it up uh, in that we saw the very, very good Tony Romo. We saw the Tony Romo that makes us clinch our teeth occasionally. And we saw the, uh, the reason why he is so immensely valuable to this team. I think the, the perfect illustration for uh for kind of the way this team felt with Tony coming back was just the elation after the touchdown pass to Terrence Williams. I mean, just that situation with deep ball down the sideline to Terrence Williams goes up, body catches it, of course, but he caught it, scores <laughs> a touchdown, and then everybody just goes nuts. And I think it was just like the relief almost of just all the culmination of seven weeks worth of frustration and all of the struggles on offense that they had where they hadn't scored a touchdown and who knows how long. It was just that that type of situation where you just have all of this stuff built up in you and then your leader comes back and you score a touchdown and you're like, yes, we are still capable of being this explosive offense that we believed that we were. And you saw, again, some of the uh, the over-aggressive Tony Romo, which is something I worried a little bit about that we might see a little more of um, as as Tony came in feeling like he had to carry this team to 7-0 and and that this team uh, was struggling without him and they needed him to come in and make plays. And the worry you have with a quarterback with the mindset of Tony Romo in that type of a situation is that he's going to come out 
and try to do too much and play outside of himself. And I think you saw some of that early. Uh, I think the interception to that Grimes made it at the goal line on the when Tony kind of threw the fade up and there was a little bit of miscommunication and a bad throw because of the pressure. I think if Tony had that one back, he would just drop down and take the sack there. But he, that's right. his his mindset at that point was he, they were trying to go score points and, and get ahead in the game and try to take control at that point. So that that play and then the interception of Turbin where, where Witten gets walked back into Romo on a blitz pickup and has mm-hmm. to kind of short arm it and throws it over the top of Turbin. Those are the type of plays that last year we didn't see from Tony as he felt very comfortable in, in staying in the lane of the quarterback and being being that game manager that is used so much as a derogatory term for a quarterback, but in actuality, being able to manage this great complex situation that is the NFL game. We talked about it on the roundtable a few weeks ago. Playing the chess game during the bar brawl uh, is being able to manage that at the level that guys like Tony and, and Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers do is is a very very high level thing to be able to do. So we saw him do that so well last year and we saw him do it earlier in the season and we saw him kind of get back into that groove as the, as the game went along. It's like he finally remembered, Oh yeah, this defense I'm playing with is pretty darn good. And as long as I don't make, as long as I don't put them in bad situations, they're just going to continue to force Miami to punt the ball back to me over and over and over again. Miami couldn't convert a third down to save their life. And, And it was, it was the type of situation where uh, where they just uh, – the defense was playing so well, Tony finally got comfortable, and he said in his press conference, his situational decision-making got better, the game slowed down for him, his footwork tightened up, and that's when you saw the good Tony Romo that put 10 points up in the fourth quarter to, to give this team the, the lead that they needed and the win that they really needed once they, once they got there. Yeah, I think for me the the, the true – mark of Tony Romo's return came in something that I talk about all of the time on Twitter, uh, social media, is the fact that penalties and sacks ruin drives. It's it's very common uh, in the NFL that if you have a penalty on a drive or you have a sack, that pretty much salts away the drive as being a uh, failure. It's very difficult to score points in the NFL when you've taken one of those uh, negative plays uh, on offense. When you have an elite quarterback like the guys who named uh, Romo and Brady and, and Rodgers, that's the case because they have the ability to still create things even in obscene down and distance. The, the touchdown, Terrence Williams, came after they were second and 27. I mean, second exactly. and 27, and you end up scoring a touchdown on that drive, that is the quintessential Tony Romo moment. And for me, I think that's why everybody was so elated, like, if that happens, if you're sat 20 with Matt Castle and Brandon, the drive's over. You're running it two times up the gut just to make sure, sure that you don't turn the ball over. But with Tony Romo, you still have a chance to score on that drive. And I think that that was the landmark, the hallmark, I should say, of his return. And I'm pretty sure that, like as you said, their elation over scoring in that situation led to that penalty. And for me, the penalty wasn't even that big of a deal because a better kick, it was – the dumb idea for them to try the short kick, and then it was executed poorly by Dan Bailey, uh, you know, after that touchdown. Everything basically went wrong that could have, but to point all of that on the penalty was ridiculous because we saw that a it was very possible to kick the ball 
through the end zone, or at least to the end zone, even with that uh, penalty yard that they suffered from. But they just made a bad decision, and fortunately it didn't come back to bite them in the ass uh, in general. Uh, but, yeah, Tony Brown was back, and the effect that it had on the rest of the offense, I think, is the next point that we need to take it to, because once again, we had a great performance out of Darren McFadden. He had over 120 yards on the game. Uh, his average was up there. We had a lot of uh, production out of Robert Turbin, who was just signed on Wednesday, and showed a mastery of the offense that Christian Michael never was able to get in his month-long tour with the team. Uh, so I think the Cowboys, as far as the run game goes, should be very excited about what they saw against a very stout Miami defensive front. Uh, but one of the things that I noticed, and you're the guru on this, so I'll ask your opinion, it seemed to me that Turbin's success came in zone blocking schemes, the outside zone, and then McFadden's uh, success came when they were pulling uh, Leo Collins and Zach Martin. Great effect. Uh, so talk to me about what you saw in the running game and how you think this might play out moving forward, because we know the Cowboys' preference is the ZBS. Uh, again, I think you did another masterful job as astute as you as you usually are of of, of summating the the situation there. Um, as we've talked about almost ad nauseum in, in this medium and in others. Um, the idea of Darren McFadden running the outside zone, sticking his foot in the ground, and getting north and south is something that is um, not going to happen, essentially. He, he doesn't have the <laughs> lateral agility. He, he doesn't have the start-stop ability to be able to make that type of a cut and then still run through an arm tackle and those sorts of things. So, a, as you said, you start pulling, and I tweeted it during the game, if you pull an offensive guard in front of Darren McFadden in space, very, very good things are going to happen. And I think the perfect illustration for it was the final drive that they had on offense where they took the ball over with six and a half minutes left. Uh, I think it was at or inside their 20-yard line. And the first run play they call was outside zone left to Darren McFadden. And what happens? They lose like five yards because Darren McFadden right. doesn't have the lateral agility to make the cut to get back to the line of scrimmage. And so he kind of gets spilled out to the sideline. And there's two drives, two games in a row where they've tried to give the ball on his own run to McFadden to start a, an end-of-game drive, and he's lost significant yards. Uh, the next play, another outside zone, goes for no gain, and all of a sudden it's third down and 14. And what happens? They run a counter draw. They pull an offensive lineman out in front of McFadden, and what happens? He goes for 15 yards and a first down. And the rest of the drive, they're running leads and they're running counters and they're running power runs and gap runs that puts McFadden in position to succeed. And all of a sudden, he winds up converting, I think, two or three more first downs. They drive the ball down into Miami territory and wind up, wind up turning it over on downs basically after they've run five and a half of the six minutes off the clock. And the game right. is over at that point. So, so that the illustration of the play calling there in terms of using McFadden in ways that put him in position to succeed is, is the ideal situation to see the contrast. And, and it was literally from one play to the next play. It was, he's running, he's running outside zone and nothing. And then the very next play, they're running a gap scheme, a, a counter draw, pull an offensive lineman and it, it goes for 15. And then they run two more power plays, back-to-back -back later on, and they go for 12 yards and nine yards back-to-back. -back. And then, so it's just that's how he builds momentum is going straight downhill behind pulling linemen. Uh, Robert Turbin 
yesterday was, and I think for the whole week, has been, as Fish has said in his articles, I think, and on the radio, I'm sure, Robert Turbin has been what everybody hoped Kristen Michael would be. When they picked Kristen Michael up, when they made the trade to Seattle, they envisioned him being this bowling ball type running back who still possessed the quickness and the lateral agility to run a, an outside zone, zone blocking base run game um, and be the kind of the, the type of runner that they wanted. And Kristen Michael never got it off the field. And we, we disclosed, we talked about that over and over and over again is that he may turn into nothing, but it won't be because of his ability on the field. It will be because of his capability to grasp the playbook, be a serious enough professional, all those sorts of things. So, Robert Turbin is what we all hoped that Kristen Michael could become. And if they continue to get this type of performance from him, if even if at this point, even if the what seems to be inevitable soft tissue injury that comes to Darren McFadden comes, uh, <laughs> that would hold him out of it that would hold him out of a game or two down the stretch, you at least feel like you have a guy that the team feels like they can rely on and Robert Turbin to come in and carry the load. And uh, and so, and I think you kind of saw the effects of the groin injury to McFadden on the 35-yard run that, that he broke around the corner with Lael Collins in front of him. He just never really looked like he dropped the clutch and, and, and dropped the gear down to, to build up speed like you'd think that a guy like Darren McFadden would when he got into open field like that. So I think that there was something there, and we'll see how he turns around after the short rest. But it, it feels so good after so much uncertainty at the second running back spot, really ever since the whole situation with Joseph Randall took place. Um, it, it feels very nice to know that you have a reliable second running back in case of some sort of disaster with the first guy who's Darren McFadden, who, to give him a lot of credit, is playing very, very well. Yeah, the beautiful thing is is how good the run game has been uh, on the left-hand side, Ron Smith, obviously, uh, he is an all-pro cover player, and his run, run blocking has been dominant this year. Uh, we're now seeing Collins on the pull, and he is just be a menace. Frederick, as always, is steady uh, and, and above average in all respects. Uh, but one of the issues that we had yesterday, and probably the might have played the worst game of his career as the Cowboys, Ron Smith had issues with pass protection, and it was hideous. Uh, Pro Football Focus has it down as given seven quarterback pressures, two sacks, uh, another hit, as well as four hurries, and I believe he also had at least one holding penalty on the game. Uh, so from my, from my point of view, from my perspective, that was the worst game that he's played as far as pass protection, but he still – ranked as or graded however you want to look at what pro, what PFF does as the best left tackle in the entire NFL, even with that performance, which shows you how great of a year he's having. But on social media, of course, the reaction is he's having a horrible year because a couple games ago he also gave up two sacks. But please believe Toronto is still, if not the best, one of the top three tackles in the game. Did you see anything there that was more of a cause for concern long term, or was this just a blip on the radar to you? I think that I mean, as you said, there's there's the numbers on the the quarterback pressures and things like that. I think one thing that's being understated in, in all of this conversation about Tyron Smith is is Olivier Vernon is a very very good player. 
Uh, and he's probably the least, he's, he's definitely not talked about enough on that Miami defensive front between, between Cam Wake, who's injured right now, and, and Dominican Sue and all that comes with him and, and all of that. Olivier Vernon is kind of the forgotten man, but he's a very savvy and explosive rusher. And there were some, there were some situations where you saw him put Tyron Smith in some pretty bad situations protection wise. Yeah. And you, and you very, you very, very rarely see that from Tyron Smith, almost regardless of, of who it is that he's blocking and regardless of the style that he, of the, the rusher and everything. There were some, there were some situations where through patience and multiple moves and, and compound moves, if you want to call them that way, uh, Vernon was able to put Smith in some bad positions. And, and that's going to happen. I mean, the, the thing that, that is difficult is that, that no player is perfect. And I don't have the exact number of plays that the Cowboys ran, but they had to run in the neighborhood of 60 or 70 plays. That's kind of the average. 74. 74. So they, ran, they ran 74 plays. Um, probably not counting the plays and penalties that negated the play. And and of those 74, Tyron probably had in the neighborhood of seven to eight plays that you would consider to be, be negative plays. So that's still, he's playing incredibly well for 90% of the snaps. And on the, and the 10% of the snaps that he, he happens to play poorly on, are the ones that are highlighted and isolated, and the coach, gave, the head coach, gave the same sentiment on the on the radio this morning in Dallas. And um, I just think that there's a lot being made because he has had two games where he's given up two sacks. But uh, but I think a lot of it is is a little bit overblown. And as you said, he's still he's still definitely one of the top tier left tackles in the NFL, if not the top tier left tackle in the NFL. All right, let's switch things up real quick. And, of course, we're here on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD with the one and only Joey Ikes, the X's and O's guru of Cowboys HQ. Make sure you are following him on Twitter at Joey Ikes. That's J-O-E-Y-I-C-K-E-S. Follow him right now. It is mandatory for your football fans that you have him on your timeline. Uh, like I said, let's switch to the other side of the ball because one of the interesting things that I saw the Cowboys, uh, obviously, we all know, we talk about it all the time. When Roma returns, it affects all facets of the game. If you have a lead, the defense can get after people. And we saw that on the final drive of the game, up 10 points. The Cowboys were able to get two sacks uh, on two of the last three plays on Ryan Tannehill, uh, a shared sack between David Irving and Greg Hardy, and then the final of the game was a humongous 22-yard sack from Demarcus Lawrence. Yet the defensive end that I was most impressed with and most hopeful register a sack, and that was rookie Randy Gregory, who struggled since he's come back from his ankle injury. Talk about what you saw on the defensive side of the ball. Am I seeing things in the fact that Randy Gregory looked to be the best of all defensive ends yesterday? Um, I, I don't think it's a stretch. Um, he played probably his best game since the Giants game to open the season when he played a very, very good first half and wound up getting hurt about midway through the game. Um, he uh, he played with power. He played with explosion. Uh, he At one point, he had it on the play where – I don't remember the exact play, but it, it wound up being a holding penalty and getting called back. But he, he walked Brandon Albert right back into Ryan Tannehill's lap 
and then shed the block, got his hand on Tannehill, and got held. And Tannehill was able to get the ball out, wound up being like a one-yard loss, plus the holding penalty moved it back even further. Um, But he he played very well. Effort was there more consistently than it had been. Uh, technique is getting better. He he. It looks like, and this is again judging from ten thousand feet. He looks like he is uh, he is beginning to to regain confidence in that ankle. And we we saw something in his first couple of games back where they played him on the left side in pass rush situations more. It looked like to keep him from having to to drive off of that right ankle. Uh, but he's back on the right side now when he's rushing, and he, he's rushing well. And it's just a matter of time, I think, before he winds up getting that first sack that kind of breaks the seal. Uh, I still don't have huge expectations for him numbers-wise, but if he continues to be, if he continues to get more and more explosive and, and get better and better technique-wise, uh, he's going to wind up affecting some games as they go. Uh, I think the defensive line as a whole played well. Um, Again, the stats and stuff didn't come early in the game, but they came late in the game. And we, we've had conversations before about this team getting meaningless second quarter sacks and not being able to finish games with sacks. Uh, and, and that's what they were able to do in this one. And, uh, it's, it's amazing how whenever you have a two possession lead late in the game, uh, you're somehow able to force quarterback to try to drop back and throw the ball down the field as opposed to dumping it off to running backs all day. And, and you're able to wind up getting sacks and things like that. Uh, where you get the big sack from Jack Crawford on on the Dolphins second to last possession, they punt the ball and then and then away you go on your your five and a half minute drive to end the game, uh, and, and so it's it's all symbiotic. It all works together, as you said. And so having Tony Romo back on the field forces your opponent to understand that they're going to have to outscore you to beat you. And right now, the idea of outscoring a Dallas Cowboys team with this defense on the field. Uh, has to be pretty daunting for any offensive coordinator that's looking at playing against them. Yeah, because the Cowboys in the last uh, games, they've turned in four stellar efforts. Uh, obviously, the New York Giant game that they lost, uh, the defense only gave up, I believe, 15 points in that game. Everything else came on uh, a special teams return at pick six. Uh, they were able to shut down the Seattle offense. Uh, they had a bad game against Philadelphia. They pretty much shut down Tampa Bay all day. Uh, and then again yesterday, they only gave up 14 points. The issue to this point has been that they haven't been able to close games. So even though they had a great performance once it came down to the fourth quarter, we all saw the stats yesterday. Uh, no acts, no turnovers forced. Uh, but obviously things changed along those lines yesterday. But all in all, the defense has, has looked like it's really rounded into form since Greg Hardy and, um, and Rolando McClain have returned. Now, Rolando McClain, we all know how I feel about him. I might be one of the most vocal uh, opponents of the way that he approaches things. Uh, make no mistake about it. When the man is getting paid to play like he has these last two games, he is a godsend for this team. Talk to me about what you saw with these linebackers and what kind of hope it gives you for this stretch rush. Yeah, I mean, I think you're finally starting to see the kind of linebacker play that you hoped for whenever we were talking about this tandem of Sean Lee and Rolando McClain playing together when we were talking about it in, in March and April and things like that all the way through July. Uh, we were talking about this type of game that we saw from them. We saw the turnover. We saw tackles for loss. We saw sideline-to-sideline play. We saw impact tackles. We saw coverage. We saw pass rush. We saw all of the above. 
Uh, and that's exactly what this team has needed and exactly what this team uh, is going to – if they continue to get linebacker play like this, it's going to be extremely difficult for teams to move the ball on them. It's funny because I, I think back to, to the roundtable we did with all the guys and, and how we talked about each level of the defense failing to perform and each and, and it may have been some recency bias from all of us coming off of the Philadelphia game. Uh, but if you think about the way the defensive line has played, the way the defensive tackles have played against the run, the way the linebackers have played the run in the past, the way the secondary is really – I mean – Almost nobody has passed the ball for big numbers against this team this year. Almost, I, I, there have been some some big plays and some bad moments, but overall, I mean, this this defense has been incredibly good, and, and they've been incredibly close to making some really huge game-changing plays. And it's been nice over the course of the last couple of games to see those plays kind of start to come back and and, and regress back to the mean and have those guys make those plays. But uh, uh, there's a, a lot of theories as to the reason why Rolando McLean's play ha- has picked up over the course of the last few weeks. I think the one that you, uh, you and, and Fish carry is, is as viable as any. There's also the theory that, hey, four games is about – four weeks is about the length of training camp, so he's just coming out of his preseason. That's also somewhat viable. But uh, ultimately, I'm just glad to have him play in the way he's playing, and, and as long as he's – healthy enough to stay on the field and uh, and they get him to Sunday interested in playing and he can play next to Sean Lee and they can play the way they did this week, uh, this team's going to have a chance to win every game that they get in. Between those two guys play and the pass rush they're going to wind up getting as these guys continue to play better and better and then the guy who takes the snaps on the other side of the ball, they're going to be a very, very difficult out. Uh, coming through this stretch run in December and then going through into the playoffs if they get there. And just how much December games matter will be determined by their fate in this Thursday game where they take on Carolina, and those linebackers are going to be highly, highly important uh, in defending Carolina. I did some quick studying. Carolina's offense is completely predicated on the read option as well as the play action, which means, of course, the onus is going to be on the linebackers. We will circle around on that later on in the week, but we wanted to give you a quick recap of the Cowboys ending their seven-game losing streak, and there was no better guest to have on than my co-host, Mr. Joey Ikes. Mr. Ikes, thank you so much for joining us here on Cowboys Crunch with KD, and we're going to talk again real soon. My pleasure, sir. Thank you. As I said, we will be back later on this week with part two of our Week 12 Cowboys Crunch Time episode with none other than the one and only Cowboys insider Mike Fisher and, of course, co-host Keith Mullen. We might also have another surprise for you, so stay tuned for that. But with all that said, it's time for us to wrap it up. That's it. We're out of here. Salute.
still be on the block like a corner store. Ain't my fault you ain't the man. Made a plan, man, they was playing. They sleeping on me like long flights. I pop a Zan on the way to France. Paparazzi like, oh, that's him. Pull that gym. Let's get faded. Drinking like it's no tomorrow. What's today? I'm in the matrix. Hey, to please let me live my life. Swear to God, I'ma try to do right. But if she bad, I might hit a bitch in the elevator like Ray Rice. Ooh. Y'all pay the price. I pay the difference. It's just different. Save money ain't Gunshots and jumping fences. Hold on, I'm trying to get loose. Please don't get shit confused. Ask Don C, I've been lit. This yay shit just lit the fuse. Now I'm on fire, everybody go quiet. Like, where was you last week, man? What was you hiding? Like, I was laying on my arm, I'm on my side. South side, I'm down to start a ride. I don't.